Hello and welcome to the Leadership Matters podcast, the podcast for people passionate about leadership and organisational performance, offering up insight and inspiration from peers who have great experience to share from developing leaders in some of the world's leading organisations. I'm your host, Andy Dent of the Oxford Group, and here at the Oxford Group, we've had the privilege of developing leaders at organisations across the globe for over 35 years. We fundamentally believe that leadership matters. As leaders, what we choose to focus on and how we show up on a day-to-day basis really does shape organisations and the people experience. So if you're interested in learning more about leadership development, then this is definitely the podcast for you. As it's our first season, we'd love you to subscribe or hit like today to fuel us on the journey to more episodes. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Leadership Matters podcast. Um, Today I'm delighted to be joined by Alex McGill, Head of People, Learning and Culture at Kick It Out. Alex and I go back a couple of years in Alex's previous role with Moonpig Group. Um, we worked on a couple of programs together, so I'm delighted to have Alex here today to share some um, some insights, probably from your new role as well, Alex, which I know you're only a couple of months into. Yeah. So um, I guess kicking us off, Alex, it would be great to really understand where your passion for leadership development came from. I know you've got lots of other passions in the HR space, um, but really keen to key in on the leadership bit. Sure. I mean, when I think about what leadership means to me, and, and uh, as an adult, when I think about that specific question around, you know, what really has helped me to become a leader, I think about family. I think about my great grandmother and looking at the the influence that she had across her community, first and foremost, coming from Mauritius, tons of family living in France, in other countries, coming over to visit her specifically. If they came into the UK, I must go and see Andrew. I must do that. Seeing that influence and pull definitely kind of excites me because I think, well, leadership is far beyond what we see it as in the workplace. It comes into so many different aspects of our lives when it comes into a lot of our motivations, it comes into so many of our decision-making moments as individuals. And even when we think about the family dynamics that we have, there's leadership in, in there as well, both mm-hmm. from you know the children that we're helping to raise as well as the elders that we have above us and you know long before us. So there's, it, I think it comes into so many different parts of people's lives that A, it fascinates me, but B, I want to be a part of it. I want to be able to help people take away skills that aren't just for the workplace, but actually can help them in all different walks of life. Fab. Thank you, Alex. That's um, a really nice take, actually. I I love the family analogy. Really, really interesting. So thanks for sharing. Um, The other thing that it's always nice to give our listeners a view of is your career history, how you got to where you are now. And I know it's quite an interesting (laughs) one. So um, so talk us through that. How far do you want me to go back? (laughs) (laughs) Well, from the start, maybe. um, Well, as far back as you want, but probably from the start and then to where you are now. Sure. Um, It probably seems a bit cryptic when I start off with this. Like, I started in sports and leisure as a lifeguard, needing some money as a teenager, getting ready to go to university because I didn't want to get a student loan. So I wanted to save as much money as I could. Doing that thing because I could swim was okay. Then I realized that I got really annoyed with people swimming badly. So I thought, right, let me become a swim teacher and accidentally fell upon teaching, training, that sort of thing. And 
then progressing into like a swim coach and went into becoming a duty manager and then you know looking after our swim school in the leisure center the local community leisure center through discovering that coaching and through discovering what it is to be a line manager of humans i started to think well i think i enjoy the coaching piece more and i want to find ways to do more of this stuff but also like not just the technical piece around swimming and coaching but more about the you know work efficiencies and just the human element to to like coaching and leading people um very quickly decided to become a uh, lifeguard trainer a first aid trainer all these different technical qualifications and i guess it was kind of factoring into that leadership piece of being able to lead the classroom lead the experience that i'm giving to people and i kind of had a reflection point where i thought okay do I want to stay in this industry because I, I I didn't quite enjoy the management role that I was in or do I want to move into something different opportunity at Apple came up so I became a uh, customer trainer uh, teaching people how to use their phones for like photography and stuff but also um, uh, teaching people videography skills and audiology skills using um, like music design software and stuff so really kind of getting into the creative elements and helping people to really embrace their creativity and the stuff that's in their head and putting it out there in some way shape or form there I really really enjoyed doing a lot of the customer side of things but I found most enjoyment out of doing the in-store stuff for the, the colleagues that I was working with so a lot of the internal training pieces and I wasn't part of the L&D team at the time but I really kind of came into this L&D thing through that. I did take up a career experience called um, the Global Guest Trainer Experience where I got flown out to the US, I did a whole batch of different like training pieces and that's where I think I did a lot of growing up in my career in understanding how to help influence people but also help to like how to help develop people be better versions of themselves and be even better at the things that they do so that way they can deliver their best sort of work. And that's where I kind of came up with the goal of becoming an L&D manager someday. I didn't want to go back to university because I, I went down the sciences route and I did, um, well, I, the last degree that I did was clinical research in human nutrition, which is very different to the field that <laughs> yeah. I'm in now. But I kind of said to myself, I don't want to go back to university and do another degree. I don't want to do a HR degree, but I'd still want that L&D role. That's definitely where I want to head. So I moved into Zendesk, uh, again, external training, but starting to do more and more internal training during my tenure there. Then I moved to the Financial Times and purely focused on internal learning there. That's where I really got to, I guess, build what I wanted learning to be mm -hmm. amongst uh, a major department in the organization. Working very closely with the L&D team, I got a further insight into what the, the more holistic approach to learning could be rather than just the training that I was delivering and thinking about how we can scale learning across uh, various different you know, parts of the globe and really kind of help people to use the technologies that we had to be more productive, to actually get more of the results that they wanted. Furlough happened with COVID and um, mm -hmm. I was sort of thinking, right, I've rested a bit now. I'm playing the piano a hell of a lot more now. What do I do with my time? So one of my friends, um, spoke about a challenge that he'd sort of set up on on LinkedIn to kind of mentor a couple of people and just help them find their feet through a time which was quite difficult people mm -hmm. were you know being made redundant they had no yeah. income but they had this idea that they wanted to start a business so there was born mentor black business which kind of does what it says on the tin but uh, akil benjamin was the um the director and is still the director of the and it's moved forward to a hell of a lot since there 
but um, we came up with this idea of mentoring, say, 100 people. LinkedIn came back and said, no, do 300. So we said, oh, OK, 300, but we'll need some money to make this work because we're just two humans. We can't can't mentor all 300 people. It's just too much. And yes, you know, I'm furloughed. He's got his own business, so he can attribute time, but that's a tall order. So we went out, crowdfunded. We got a significant amount of money very quickly, uh, where we had £10,000 within 24 hours raised. And I think within oh. two weeks, 20000 near or take, give or take. Mm-hmm. So that's where we said, okay, let's do this thing properly. And that's where I really found my passion for ED&I work. And mm. it's still learning based, so yeah. I was very much in my element, but that's where I really kind of figured that I want to do more in this sort of space. Um, found my job at Moonpig uh, just off the back of the uh, the pandemic and starting remotely was weird, but my first ever L&D role in the HR team, L&D manager, managed to achieve my goal seven years later. And I kind of found myself in that position of saying, well, now what? Okay, just get the grounds like done when it comes to like understanding what the foundations of L&D is generally. And then you can kind of think about it from there. And the natural progression towards head of came into mind at some point. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of where I did a lot of my testing, a lot of playing around with different concepts and ideas and thinking about how I could actually help leaders lead better, how I can help managers manage better, how I can help individuals think about their careers and think about their strengths and their opportunities to develop in a completely different way that actually enables them to be more resilient, to be more, you know, future proof, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, then, I mean, it, it almost came as a as the perfect alignment of two worlds where now at Kick It Out, um, being in a role that helps me to really connect with the EDNI piece that I'm really passionate about. But of course, the L&D piece, the, the, the education of, of people and helping people to really understand what good can look like in a number of different ways, both mm-hmm. professionally and personally, too, is really where I get a chance to actually, you know, play around with a whole batch of different things that I've had the, the joy of doing so mm-hmm. far. Mm-hmm. I remember when you first shared the news with me, I was like, that job could have literally been made for you. So um, <laughs> I'm sure you're absolutely loving it. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get onto a bit of that later. Um, one of the things that we're always keen to know is um, in terms of if there was a magic recipe, and I said there is never a magic recipe, it's never that simple, but what are the things that you often build in in terms of approaches to development activities that you think inspire that growth in leaders um, to get them to change their behavior or to drive performance? What's your kind of go-tos, you know, those foundational pieces that you build into programs sure i mean i'm pretty sure my my current ceo is sick and tired of me saying it to be honest but i always start with a learning needs analysis it sounds really simple because it is but i can't do anything without understanding what problems we're trying to fix what they look like they smell like they feel like they taste like how they manifest themselves in in the physical workspace and then understand what sort of things could actually be useful to the audiences that we're delivering to. And, you know, whether that's a guide, whether that's an actual workshop, whether that's a checklist even, just what sort of things will actually be the hardest hitting to help inspire people to Mm. change a behaviour, a mindset, a thing that they do. And I think, you know, without understanding people's motivations and understanding more about the audience that you're delivering to, it's going to be impossible to understand exactly what sort of things will help them to change and improve. I think another thing, I mean, we've all heard death by PowerPoint. I think COVID has definitely amplified that phrase, right? (laughs) We can't shy away from some PowerPoints and slide decks, but where possible, I want to inject as much humor and like relatability into what I do. 
because that's that's where the emotional connection in my mind kind of really lands that's where someone can go oh i've been doing oh right that makes perfect sense i've been doing it this way and okay this they have a feeling about that Mm -hmm. moment and that's the bit that they remember most and that's what's going to help them to kind of change their their ways a little bit towards something that's hopefully better for them as well as the organizations and people that they work with right um more than anything i also try and make sure there's some element of play i like mischief just generally because of just how i am i can't help myself but at the same time i realize that you know there's a common misconception with with uh, creativity most people think that adults lose creativity as we get older and no we really just learn rules to help us be more mm. successful we don't lose creativity because we have to apply creativity to those rules to problem solve we lose imagination yeah and you know, people who play with Lego and do these sorts of very thinky creative tasks are really good with imagining something and then finding out ways to do it. So if I can Im- implant some element of play where there are building blocks of some description for people to play with and be silly, get it wrong, inject their own sense of humor, you know, as sarcastic as the British population often is, <laughs> I actually build that into it because that's the bit that's gonna help people go, you know what, that was not just good, not just all right, that was great because of, mm-hmm. I got a chance to do something that actually made me remember something maybe from childhood or something new, and then link that to a learning moment. That's actually something they're going to apply going forwards. And creating those challenges that evoke the, the different emotions probably is one of the key things that I always kind of come back to when it comes to anything change oriented, whether it's uh, Mm. uh, changing a culture in an organization or whether it's actually just helping someone to develop and change their skill sets ever so slightly or the way they approach a problem, it's always gonna be changed. So Mm. they need to feel a positive something about that change that they can always come back to. Mm -hmm. What about, um, so any like real kind of go-to tools or um, that could be diagnostic tools or it could be methods or models, you know, stuff that you think have really hit the mark from a leadership development perspective over the years that you've used? Um, I kind of... Uh... I try and read as much as I can. I try. And, I mean, I'm dyslexic, so my reading is very slow. So I, audiobooks is my. It's always the thing that I yeah. go to. So I'm always trying to imagine what these different tools and models look like, and I draw those out. And sometimes it's actually giving that as a resource. Sometimes it's just my scribblings on a paper. But sometimes that's enough mm. for people. Um, I think. <sighs> I take an investigative approach, and I guess that's because of my scientific background for education. I think of the skills that I learned at university to create a very simple protocol that someone else can follow in a scientific lab themselves and just replicate my work effectively. If I can do that in that space, I should be able to be somewhat formulaic in the way that I do that in the learning space as well. So my main tool is actually following the process of a researcher actually going through the investigation tools that they use in investigative medicine, which is my background education wise. Fab. Thank you. Okay, so um, the next question is a big one, really, because um, I was reading a paper this morning from the Corporate Research Forum about, you know, the future of leadership, I guess, and how leadership has changed from post-pandemic, pre-pandemic to post-pandemic. And there's some interesting stuff that came out in there around, um, you know, the challenges we're facing right now. But interested to hear your thoughts on what you think are the biggest biggest challenges for leaders right now. Gosh, Andy, that's a... <laughs> um, I think one of the biggest challenges that we have right now is the fact that we've got 
the most diverse workforce at play all at the same time where we've got lots of different and I, I hate using the word generation but lots mm -hmm. of gen different generations with different communication styles and preferences different working habits different ideologies different methodologies to do something all of this is happening at the same time in the same spaces where colleagues and partners are able to do amazing collaborative work if they understand each other mm. if they can see eye to eye on things if they can have the adult conversations to actually understand that yes you see things completely different to I to the way that I do but your rationale your ideology is still valid the same way that mine is so how do we find a way to meet in the middle I think when especially when it comes to ways of working such a big terminology that's come off the back of the pandemic ways of working is is never really easy it's simple in some ways but it's never easy i think that's probably one of the biggest challenges that's going to continue on for the next couple of years if not over a decade mm. because you know people are living longer medicine is doing a fantastic job at keeping us working and able to do stuff for longer so naturally there's going to be completely different workforces at play that feel and look very very different to say 30 50 years ago yeah yeah absolutely thanks alex um so i'm going to transport you now to a desert island <laughs> you've been you've landed there and before you got landed there you were able to choose free books to put into your suitcase and i'm dying to know what those free leadership books would be i think one of them won't be a surprise to you um erin meyer's the culture map definitely has to be on there for, I mean, the simple reason that, you know, with remote and hybrid working, we have to understand different cultures. We have to understand the influence of different cultures into how people work and that whole ways of working that I just mentioned really is deeply ingrained into culture, right? Um, I think of one of the books that a, a comms lead um, recommended to me a couple of years ago now. Uh, I think every leader should have read it, if not at least like looked at a summary of it. It's Nonviolent Communication by um by dr rosenberg that in particular has ticked so many boxes personally for me to be able to understand how to communicate with people how to be engaging how to share something that's a challenging conversation to have it's challenging bit of information for someone to take in in a way that stops them from feeling attacked now i have no control of their feelings however I have a big part to play in how they react to what I say. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when I think of um, Goldman's work in, in, um, in both leadership models as well as emotional intelligence, there's so many connection points there. I think as I, I was introduced to this concept fairly early on in my career when I was at Apple, but it hasn't become, it hasn't landed until fairly recently in the last couple of years. But the work by, um, Carol Derwick uh, on mindset and growth mindset and what that means to leaders and how to inspire growth mindset in an organization. I think that there's a lot of insight in there. And yes, there's there's tons of new research that's out there about you know the, the impact of having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of different ideas around neuroplasticity and how mm -hmm. that's involved in this whole thing. But I think there's just some fundamentals in that book that really every leader should have in their head, even just for per like managing and, and leading self. Yeah, there's so much in that yeah, book yeah. that's just speaking to that. No, I'm with you. Great, thank you. Three fantastic choices. Thank you, Alex. Um, so we we live in a, a technology-enabled world, and um, whilst books are great, and there's audio books as you already touched on as well, there's lots of other ways that leaders can impart knowledge 
on themselves or on their people actually so really interested um in what you think every um leader should watch or listen to so it could be a ted talk or yeah, i don't know whatever um, um what are you thinking <laughs> one of them links to something that you only found out about recently uh, about me um my my kung fu and chinese history right there um so <laughs> um my kung fu master mentioned someone to me and i had no idea who this person was but when i finally got home from china after spending a couple of months out there practicing kung fu with um, southern shaolin temple monks there was there was a couple of lessons that i wanted to dig deeper into and researching this person i, I managed to find a ted talk uh, it's master shi heng yi and he spoke about the five hindrances to self-mastery that probably had the most profound effect on me and actually has helped me to really understand how motivation works a little bit better so I can help others to hopefully be more engaged in my learning experiences, whether that's something that's a resource that I'm handing or something as a physical experience in a space or virtually. Um, there's another TED talk, which I, I think most leaders kind of go to, which is The Power of Vulnerability by Brene Brown. It kind of speaks to itself, and especially today where we're so socially aware of of the needs of others with mental health with just individuality vulnerability has to come into it right so again very hopefully a clear link there the third one is something that i saw recently um it's on jay shetty's um podcast it was um jared carmichael speaking about how to reframe shame and that for me was probably one of the most powerful things I've watched recently mm. because it really got me to understand how shame has influenced and impacted me growing up you know being uh, a black kid from Peckham a rough area when I was growing up I grew up on a council estate to a single parent like there's so many different mm. things in that that shame really kind of played a part into and, and really kind of influenced a lot of my decision making and I think that is something that I would recommend to every leader to go through because we all experience shame. It's a human, it's part of the human condition, right? We always are concerned with what other people are watching us seeing and, and what judgment is being cast on us. But we don't often address what we are shameful of. Mm. We don't ever really think, I mean, we know, often we know what it is. Like some people are just ashamed of looking like an idiot. And I think, okay, well, for me to be able to play in a classroom where no one really knows each other, but I'm forcing them to do stuff. I need to look like an idiot sometimes. I need to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. So that shame element for me started to go away. And I, I started to think about it as me having concurrent truths. It is true that I am confident in a learning space, but it's also true that I feel a lot of shame. So being able to figure out the middle ground for me to then be able to d deliver and perform in that space is something that I really started to dig into from from watching that um, podcast. Fascinating. I've got a couple of things to watch there <laughs> on the train journey you got, home. You've got your homework. Which is always great. Thanks, Alex. There's some real um, wisdom in those, I think. So thank you for sharing. Um, <clears throat> what about you? So on a personal level, what keeps you motivated and inspired to motivate and inspire others within the field that you're in? Um, there's someone and something. Um, the someone is my mother, and I mean, I'm sure she knows that I idolize her and I do look up to her a lot, but I don't think 
she realizes just how much of an influence she's had on me and still has on me today like seeing her you know, give birth to me as a single parent while she was still quite young she was back at work back in university literally weeks after having me I was brought up by you know there, there are sayings like you know it takes a village to raise a child very much I lived that so my great grand my gran and my aunt really really leaned in heavy quite quite heavily to be able to raise me and help her in you know giving me the life experiences through my formative years but she straight away went back to working in university to educate herself and get her into the career that would enable her to support me and herself better grow up with me but we spent a lot of time exploring stuff so she wanted to understand who I am she wanted to really invest in me and allow me to go and travel with my grandma with my aunt and explore new places to experience different cultures to try new foods because that's a big thing in our family my great grandma's an amazing cook so you know th there's all of these different things that she enabled through her hard work but also the her coming back to her downtime away from university away from her her work being able to say right I'm absolutely knackered but I'm going to spend some time with my son I'm going to take him to a museum and he's going to hate the walk there because you know he's five years old he doesn't enjoy walking he's going to hate walking around and looking at various different things that are of no interest to him but there's going to be one thing that he will like and I'm so thankful to her for that because that has enabled me to to understand what perseverance is that's enabled me to kind of have a bit more of an open mindset to things and say well generally I don't like these things but there might be something I'll get from it, so I'll give it a go. Why not? What have I got to lose? And have that sort of mindset. And I think seeing her now, um, like she, she really pushed me to do things that I didn't like. I, I hated swimming, yet that became part of my profession and career. <laughs> I, I absolutely hated it when I was a kid, whereas now I use it as a meditative practice because all I need to focus on is stretching and breathing whilst I'm swimming. And that simplicity... Mm. Mm. really allows me to escape the busy world that is in my mind mm. and you know as a role model just seeing her perseverance through all of the different challenges that I know she faced uh, things that she has never told me I'm sure she still kept on pushing and even today she's still pushing like she'd see me studying and say you know you're so different to me I, I didn't study in this sort of way I'm so proud of you for doing that and I'm thinking I'm just preparing for an exam that's like a, it's a no-brainer to me but just that small recognition piece is long lasting because that was nearly no uh, yeah nearly 10 years ago that she said that to me and it still is as loud to me today as it was then um the thing that really kind of inspires me and motivates me is just humans i i don't like calling people people often i prefer mm. calling them humans because we are such fascinating creatures we do things that are completely completely random a lot of the time <laughs> and it just fascinates me seeing the good in people and and seeing the good and the emotional state of, of people brings me to think of them as humans as, as sentient beings who have evolved in different ways to be able to have that individuality and be able to celebrate it if only they gave themselves the chance <laughs> we beat ourselves up so much mm -hmm. and i i'd love there to be so much more celebration of, of humans and what humans bring to the world to each other to a variety of different circles that they sit in and I think that that's something that inspires me still because there's, there's so much work to do from my perspective to influence and help as many people as possible um 
your mum sounds like an amazing woman firstly that was a really heartwarming and inspiring run through and i'm sure she's very proud of the person that you've become um yeah and i love that piece on humans um and share your 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 intrigue and and um interest in the human condition i guess okay so um what one skill behavior or mindset do you think is going to be imperative for leaders in the next five years so we're future gazing a bit here alex <laughs> you want one well you, you give give me whatever <laughs> you think um or give give me the, the the kind of top the top three or you know the, the the top of the pyramid okay uh you know what i will give you one i'll challenge myself oh, go on, on. um asking questions okay asking questions is probably i mean it is for me but it definitely will be for me going forward one of the biggest and most powerful tools we have in our toolkit and the reason why i say this because when i think about line manager responsibilities i think of being able to empower someone to do something being able to give them permission to do something and also being able to kind of lower the barriers so they can do that something right and I think about different ways in which we can motivate people to be self-serving wherever possible and actually apply their human element to whatever it is they're doing. So add whatever their secret source is, add that mm -hmm. to whatever you're doing. So you've got your flair, your stamp on it. And asking questions has become one of the, the ways that I've noticed in younger generations that communication is, is probably best given. So where I think about the different humans that I, I've had the joy of managing over the years and different managers that I've interacted with both as leaders as well as as line managers in organizations I think of the way that they spoke to me the way that I speak to, to other other humans right if I ask a question I'm able to understand a little bit more about your thought process understand a little bit more about your experience and the way that you're doing something and the why behind it I'm able to understand what you think the so what is behind it so that that how makes sense now and I also do I get all of that information and I'm able to point you in a direction that you may not have thought about you've never flirted with what's over there but now you know it exists and now you're curious now you're intrigued so the have you ever thought of or what if you did or what if, what would go wrong if type questions I always go to because I want people to think about what matters to them, what they could actually influence and control to be able to get the desired outcome that they're, they're seeking, but also how they can apply that human element that I mentioned earlier. And I don't think the directive tell is always the, the best way to do that. Now, sometimes you have to. Sometimes you do have to go forwards and actually give a, a very straightforward directive. But I always prefer to ask where possible, and it is very much a coaching approach. It's kind of where I come from. But even still, even more of those directive type of instruction sets that I, 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 I need to give to people, whether I'm line managing them or whether I'm working collaborate, whatever it is, even if, if it's in the classroom or you know virtual um, learning space, the ability to ask questions can be so motivating and so enlightening to humans that it's something that I think is is you need to be able to ask good mm. questions you need like facilitating a conversation is far far more effective in many different situations than me telling and imparting my knowledge from my head to to your head 
being able to facilitate a conversation and allow people to meander around what could go wrong, meander around the different systems that are at play to be able to help something go right and how to copy and paste that approach to every other problem that's relevant. Like that comes through asking questions, not necessarily saying, oh, just follow these instructions, one to five, off you go. Mm -hmm. the, the, the application of that one to five doesn't ever get iterated mm -hmm. unless you're, you're motivated to do mm -hmm. so. And usually that comes from a, a question that you have from yourself. Like, how could I do that quicker? How could I do that more efficiently? There are five steps. Do I need the third step? That's where a question comes in for self. So if I can do that as a leader to point you in the direction of a question that can help you to unlock something new, then it, it's almost a given for all leaders to be able to do that, I think. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. I've just been writing a few notes, <clears throat> offshoots to what you've shared there. Sure. Um, and I guess the there's a couple of things that enable that as well. I think asking questions and just being curious helps you to ask the right questions. If you if you get out of your own way and you're present and you're just curious about someone, that makes it easier to go there with the questions and lead that forward. Yeah, definitely. And and the other piece you touched on there towards the back end is that um, I've heard it referenced as referenced as interrogative self-talk. I think Dan Pink and a few other podcasts I've been listening to recently talk about, you know, asking yourself those questions as well yeah. so you can truly understand yourself. So, yeah, I'm with you on the questions. That's that's a pretty I mean, cool. Well, I was delivering a lifeguard course um, middle of July and there were so many questions from the young minds in the room. And I kind of there was one question that really stumped me and I was like, yeah, why do I do that? And I started to think about it live in front of people waiting for an answer. And I could see the, I could see this one learner getting really quite frustrated <laughs> that I was taking so long. But I had to explain that, you know, I've been doing this for so long that I don't actually have an answer. Mm. I'm going to go away and find out. But you've asked me something that is really important for me to understand as a first aid professional. And if I can't understand the why behind it, then how can I deliver treatment? How can I diagnose correctly? Or at least as close to you know, something that's useful to a paramedic. And it, it, I do think it's really important that mm. you know, we do tap into that. Yeah. Being able to interrogate yourself is probably yeah. more important than being able to ask others questions. Yeah. But for us to really learn, because I mean, people are naturally curious. We, we always wonder what is going on in someone else's head at the very least. We always wonder what's going on over there. There's people crowded over there. What, what's, 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 what are they watching? what they're doing so there's always a question somewhere but I don't think a lot of people really harness mm. active questioning and yeah. active listening off the back of that yeah with curiosity yeah absolutely no great great one to add into the toolkit there and uh, definitely one that fuels that openness that trust that understanding you know really connecting and that helps so many other things happen doesn't it so yeah. Okay, so we're at the point where um, we've got the closing question which is a question that has been posed by one of our previous guests, <laughs> which you don't know what is coming, Alex. But anyway, I'm sure you will uh, you'll have a great answer for it. So your question is this. What do you suggest we do to engage with and motivate younger generations who will shape the future? I'm going to sound like a broken record with part of this answer for sure, because immediately I thought, ask questions mm -hmm. immediate thought play actually be silly actually understand those motivations in a way that allows you to give some 
shareable experiences and enables you to kind of connect dots that you probably never connected before. So being able to ask yourself questions as well as asking them questions and being being open to actually laugh at yourself, being open to being vulnerable and to make mistakes in front of other people and actually open yourself up to being judged by other people, letting go of a lot of that shame that's, that's assigned to the judgments that you think are going to be the worst things ever where most times people are actually going, you know, I've never seen it that way in their own heads. Most people tend to kind of go, oh, that's interesting. I've never thought of it that way. And they go off in their own little world mm -hmm. for a bit and then they come back in the room and they're with you again. Being able to have that humility, being able to actually act with curiosity in that sort of way to be able to understand exactly where someone else is coming from, probably one of the most important things to be able to engage another human. So in my mind, I think, well, doesn't matter what age group they're from it doesn't matter what generation they've been assigned it's very much about well how interested are you in that human and how can you demonstrate that in a way that they will understand mm -hmm. so if they demonstrate play and inspiration and and um, you know their imagination comes through in one specific activity engage with them in that find mm -hmm. ways in which you can bring that into what you're doing with them it might be just telling a joke, a terrible joke, just to break the ice a little bit and actually talk about what they found funny in that joke. And it's, you know, it's, it's dissecting a joke, potentially, <laughs> but there is still something in that because you're communicating, and you're understanding a little bit closer what makes them them and why they want to show up, what makes them show up. And, you know, simple things like asking questions. I, I always think, you know, people are motivated by completely different things at different points in their lives it's perfectly fine as a leader to ask someone what motivates you it's okay if it's money because I recognize you're thinking about settling down you're thinking about buying that car you're thinking about going to university you're thinking all of these expensive things it's fine for that to happen and truly making it safe enough for them to be able to share mm -hmm. what is a little bit vulnerable what they feel a little bit vulnerable mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. thank you Alex thank you so much um, as always, whenever I speak to you, there's so much richness and, um, you know, lots of things that come out that I didn't know about you as well. So um, <laughs> so I really appreciate your your insights today. Thank you so much for being a guest on the pod and good luck um, in the new role as well, which Thank I know you. is emerging fast. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. We hope you took some insight or inspiration from the conversation. If you did, please hit the subscribe or like button. And that's not because we want to get loads of sponsors. It's just so we know that you're finding the content worthwhile and we can keep delivering more and more conversations. If you are finding it useful, why not follow us on LinkedIn or check out our website or sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date with upcoming events, insights and articles to help either yourself or the leaders in your organisation. Thanks again. Yeah.